This is Propulsion, the podcast where we dive deep into the nitty gritty of taking your business and your practice to the next level. Whether you are an entrepreneur, a franchisee, or a financial planning pro, you are in the right place. We're talking the latest tech, best practices, and expert insights, all while keeping it real and entertaining. So grab a coffee, sit back, and let's get ready to blast off. I'm your host, François Detoy. So just for those of you that maybe don't know a little bit about Chris, uh, obviously there's more details down below. Uh, Chris has recently written uh, another book on financial well-being called The uh, Four Cornerstones of Financial Well-Being. Uh, so it's a fantastic book. Uh, and uh, before that, he's also written another book on financial well-being. So financial well-being is really something that's very close to Chris's heart. And he's also the founder of the Institute for Financial Wellbeing over in the UK. So doing a lot of work in that space. So with that as a background, Chris, let's uh, sort of kick this uh, conversation off. And uh, I probably want to sort of start off with, you know, um, if we start thinking about, I mean, the whole premise around this episode's title is around money. I won't start from here. Just tell us a little bit about the, the phrase, I won't start from here, because there is a bit of a, a, a reason why we use that. Yeah, yeah. So it, it comes from um, uh, a kind of almost a joke uh, from Ireland, where if you are traveling around rural Ireland and you stop and you ask somebody walking down the street for directions to somebody, how to somewhere, how do I get to so and so? They will, they will, uh, the cliche is that they will answer, well, I wouldn't start from here. Um, and it's a lovely, I've always thought it was a lovely expression. It's really applicable about money because, um, so one of the, one of the, simple ways of looking at this is I reckon that there are three simple steps to achieving a great relationship with money, right? A great financial plan. Very simple, three steps. Firstly, you start with step two. And step two is to ask what will make me happy. Step three is that, and, and the answer to that, by the way, is internal self-worth, intrinsic motivations, um, having meaning and purpose in life, that kind of stuff. Not having stuff to impress other people. Um, the research shows that, that uh, if you are somebody that sees money as an objective, there's a very good chance you will be less happy than you would otherwise be. So if step two is what uh, internal self-worth will give me happiness, how do I get internal self-worth, which is step three, which is what will apply to you? How will you find meaning and purpose in your life? It doesn't mean we've all got to become you know, saints and do nothing but be meaningful and purposeful. It just means having a bit of something in your life that is meaningful and purposeful. Probably involves helping somebody else. There's a wonderful line from Archbishop Desmond Tutu in the fantastic book called The Book of Joy, which is that joy is your reward for the giving of joy, which is the most wonderful expression. Um, so step two, internal self-worth. Step three, from kindness, from meaning and purpose. Now we can go back to step one, which says, how do we create a financial plan? Right. So the trouble is that we usually start with financial security as our first point. And then we get to money and we create financial security and go, right. Now, what do I do? I'm working with a guy as a financial coach who's got nine million pounds in his current account and he sold his business. And he says that he is bereft. Because he's never, nobody's ever asked him how, uh, what will make you happy. When you get financial security, then what will you do? 
So as financial planners, what we should be doing is we should be talking to people about step two and step three before we start with step one. So that's what I mean by I wouldn't start from here. Yeah, I really love that. And, you know, we think you watch movies like The Pursuit of Happiness and those kind of things. And it's very much focused on not having money and then getting money because that's going to sort out all of our problems. Um, so, I mean, how is society's definition of that mainly driven? Uh, and, and, and is that, I mean, what they have done or the way that we've sort of structured this for ourselves or defined it for ourselves, is that what's leading to us thinking that step one is figure out the money first? Um, do you think that 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 is the reason for that? And, and if so, why, you know, how has that impacted uh, our whole world? Because all of us sort of go to step one, as you rightly said. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, I'll counter your pursuit of happiness with the Wolf of Wall Street, which shows huge wealth, bringing in great happiness in the form of prostitution and drugs. You know, um, there is a lot out there which pushes the idea that success equals money and money equals success. And so there's even, look, I know financial psychology is really big in South Africa at the moment. And um, I know uh, some of the stuff like behavioral finance, uh, framing, framing bias. Uh, when somebody comes to see a financial advisor, they expect to be advised on their finances. Makes sense, right? That's the framing. Um, you might even look around your office and say, well, what's the meeting room look like if you're still having face to face meetings? Or what does the entrance lobby look like? Uh, do we have money magazines on the table in the lobby for people to read? Are you accentuating this framing that a financial plan is about money? What could you do to change that narrative so that actually this is a place where we don't have to be like this? Because outside of your of, of your office, Everything is telling people that success is money, money is success. Um, most people that I've asked over the years might ask the question, you know, who do you look up to? Who do you admire? Who do you think is successful? Will have some sort of financial element to that, that um, answer. Very few people will say most successful person I know is Dave down the road who works in Tesco's and really enjoys his job. In the supermarket trolley boy and he loves it. Not many people would call him successful, but actually he's happy. And so he is. So we are we're consumers. We are monetized all the time. And if we need to get out of that habit and the client that comes to see the financial planner will be in that mindset. And I would just challenge and ask, is your environment and what you're talking about, your question set, is that accentuating that? Or is it getting the client to move off of that and think about what will actually make me happy? Get them to that step two first. And I'm sort of keen to to know, uh, Chris, if if we have start having conversations with clients around what really brings them joy, because there's this interesting uh, thing that Marta Beck actually uh, wrote about, and she said, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, how old you are, how young you are, how successful you are, how unsuccessful you are, how rich you are, how poor you are, how healthy or how um, sort of ill you are. Um, everybody's looking for the same four things. And those four things uh, are peace, love, joy, and freedom. So at the end of the day, that's what we all aspire to, according to her. Doesn't matter where you are, you can link it to one of those those four things. So I'm I'm quite keen to to know you. How do we have these conversations with clients, and and how would that change the way that we give advice? Because often, you know, many of us start off as the client walking the door. They are looking for. Uh, I have a problem with my retirement you know, fund or I have a problem with my risk plan or I have this or that, or I want a, a last will and testament. You know, they have a very specific product related thing in mind when they walk in the door for the first time. 
So how do we approach that conversation then differently if the client has this, I won't say burning need, but it might be a burning need. Uh, and we want to really get to the other side of it. What are the kind of things that I think, let me ask it this way, what are the kind of things that needs to be in place before I can have this kind of conversation? Or can I just jump in the with the with the door and uh, you know just immediately start having these conversations? Um, so I'll answer that question, but I'll just come back to your quote. I, I sometimes put things on like LinkedIn just to say a little thought I might have while walking the dog. And I get loads and loads of people coming and say, yes, it's true. Money doesn't make you happy. It's the important things in life. I hope this is okay to swear slightly. I call bullshit because it's all very well to say these things and to write them on LinkedIn. But what do we then go and actually do with our lives? Are we all giving up our jobs to go and work at the local nature reserves? No, we aren't. We're carrying on doing our jobs in order to get financial security because that's what our society tells us to do. How many um, advisors and planners are actually making, taking the investment um, portfolio out of the conversation and just talking about what makes you happy? It's not actually happening. We don't do it. We all know it. We all know it inside, instinctively. We know what makes us happy. It doesn't need money. And yet you try telling somebody who's got some money coming their way not to take it. And I'll give you a great example. Here is a challenge for everybody advise us. I'd love to know a little survey. I don't know if you can do this in practice, Francois, but um, I know a guy who sold his business. He's sold it for as much money, in fact, several times more than he will need to do all the things he wants in his life. Okay, so he's got financial security big time. He's got on an earn out of three years. At the end of that three years, if he helps the company achieve its growth targets, he'll get a further three million pounds. Now, he's not happy. He's not enjoying his job. His accountant and his solicitor have said to him under no, under no circumstances must he give up his job because he won't get the three million. I've said to him, you don't need the three million. So why are you working? And he's gone, whoa, give up three million? And I said, yeah, if you don't need it to do the things you want to do, he is not giving up the three million. He's continuing with his job. So what would you advise that client? Would you advise them to do something different and lose three million quid? So I just call bullshit a little bit that we talk all this stuff, but are we actually putting it into practice? So sorry, I went on to the first bit of that and I've now forgotten what your actual question was. I do apologize. <laughs> oh, it was how, how can people actually do this in practice in the meeting, wasn't it, with a client? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so the first important rule is uh, bring the client with you. We're not trying to surprise people here. There can be a tendency once you've learned some new stuff to try it out on somebody and see what happens. But that can scare them off. If they're only the framing thing, if they've only ever come to you to talk about money, and then the first meet the, the next week they go, so tell me what you want for your future. What makes you happy? Whoa. So you need to bring them along with you slowly. And there's a number of ways you can do that. Very, very simple. Um, what's your meeting called? Uh, I work with one company in the UK and wrote some articles for their um, their bulletin. And they sent this out, this newsletter. And they sent me a copy of it. And it was a financial well-being special. And I'd written several articles. And I looked at the front page. And I realized it was called the quarterly investment review. So what are you calling? Is it your planning meeting or is it a review meeting? When you confirm your meeting with somebody and you say, look forward to seeing you on Wednesday at 10 o'clock, why not add, 
I'd really love to hear about your plans for the future. I wonder if you can give it some thought in advance. Now they're coming ready for the conversation. In coaching terms, we call this contracting. Um, a joke I do when I do the training on coaching stuff is um, how many um, coaches does it take to change a light bulb? Um, only one, but the light bulb's got to really want to change. So you've got to bring them along with you, right? <laughs> um, newsletters, educate them. Educate your clients about the principles of money and happiness. So of those four cornerstones that the book is all about, the first two are what's true of everybody and what's true of you individually. There are some general truths, research going back thousands of years, Buddhism, philosophy, psychology, there's loads, neuroscience, there's loads of stuff out there, uh, which the book tries to bring together. Educate your clients on some of these things. It's not your fault you're rubbish with money. Your brain's not wired that way. It's not your fault that you're not doing things to benefit your future self. It's because your future self is a stranger to you. Educate them on some of these things so that when they come into the meeting, you get the second of the cornerstones, what's true of you, the know thyself, as I call it, then they'll be much more ready to have those sorts of conversations. So bring them with you. Don't try and surprise them. I really like that. I, you make me think back to 2000, 2001, round about there. I think it was round about there. Uh, when Big Brother for the first time came to South Africa, how oh, it was available to watch on television. I mean, everybody was glued to their television, looking at these poor people staying in a house together and scheming and plotting and doing all the things. There wasn't, was one particular segment that I was always amazed by, and that was the diary room sessions. Yeah. In those diary rooms, they would talk to the and These people like felt like they knew who they were. I'm like, I don't even know whether I like red or blue or green or what my favorite color is. But we don't even talk about all these other things that, that they are talking about in these, like, these deep things. And one of the things that I'm really um, sort of, uh, you know, that I wish I did earlier in my life, because I only then in 2014 went on that journey to get to know myself. And I must say that, uh, I mean, that is one of the most powerful things that I did. And it's not as easy as it sounds, but there's a lot of tools and things out there that can help you with that. So, um, you know, how do we then approach if a client hasn't gone through some of those things and they haven't spent time um, and also, yes, yes, I, I know I ask plenty of questions all rolled into one. Sorry for that, Chris. But <laughs> do we do we sometimes find that clients think they know themselves and then turns out that they don't? Because that, that's sort of a dangerous ground to have a conversation sometimes yeah, if yeah. they think they know, but they don't. Yeah. Um, so yeah. how do we tackle those situations? And, and look, couples as well, you know, who've never actually had the conversation about what we do in 10 years time. Um, and then when you bring it up, it turns out they want completely different things. Awkward. Uh, so um, first tip, dial it down a bit. Okay. There's a lot of people like me. Um, there's a lot of people from academia. There's a lot of ex-financial planners getting excited and interested in the research and all this stuff. Um, a lot of uh, academics, a lot of people in psychology who are coming into this world, behavioral finance, etc., and talking about you've got to have a life with meaning and purpose. You've got to do this. It's a bit scary. It can for a client that's only ever talked to you about investments to suddenly have all of this. It's a bit scary. So let's just do one little thing at a time. Just say to a client, we've talked about your retirement and you want to said you retire at 60. And that's what a financial plan is doing. 60 in a day. What will you do? You wake up. What's going to happen now? Most people. In my experience will say that they want to travel that's the number one what i want to do in retirement answer which is cool 
you might get some bucket list stuff. The trouble with that is that they're all goals. And I don't like goals. I'm not a big fan of financial goals because once you've achieved a goal, then what happens? Famously, Michael Phelps, who won was it eight um, gold medals at the Sydney Olympics, then had a nervous breakdown. Having achieved everything he was working towards, he had a nervous breakdown because now he wasn't working towards anything. So goals are OK. I'm not saying one can't have goals, but help clients to find their intrinsic motivations, the things that they could do that will give them meaning and purpose. And dial that down another step. So I used to talk about living a life of meaning and purpose, and I realized that was too heavy. So I just changed one word, living a life with meaning and purpose. Don't doesn't mean everything you do has to be meaningful and purposeful. But if, for example, I set up a youth cricket club in my local village, um, which I started from scratch. It was just me and my kids and some of their friends um, and one team and then two teams and three teams. And then finally the club noticed and the club got involved. Now there's eight, 180 kids every Friday night playing cricket uh, in the summer at our local cricket club. Now that will be with me forever. I'm so proud of all of that. It was hard work and I'm proud of what I've done. That was time. That wasn't even money. So I just have that little thing in my life that gave me meaning and purpose. And now what I do in this conversation with you gives me meaning and purpose. But once this is over, I haven't got to go into the front room and make a meaningful and purposeful tea for the kids, you know. Um, so that's that's will be my one of my big tips is just dial it down and just do one little thing at a time and just ask your client, what does retirement look like? And if it becomes um, a goal type answer, then use this question. That's great. When you've achieved that, then what will you do? Then what happens? The nice question to ask to just keep the conversation going. Is there anything else? Just keep prodding and asking questions. Um, leave lots of silences. I think silence is the most underutilized tool in the financial advisor's armory. Ask an open question. Shut up. And stay shut up. And you'll be amazed. Leave the silence. Leave the silence for 10, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. The client will be looking at you strangely and you just smile benignly back. And then eventually the client will click into what's called system two thinking and they will start actually genuinely think about and properly answer your question. So dial it down a bit, ask an open question, ask a follow up and then silence. I really love that. Um, so is there a way or, or man, is, is it possible to, because this is different for, I mean, you said this is intrinsic, like it comes from inside. So everybody's thing that makes them happy or that gives them meaning and purpose is going to be different. And some of us will have the same things and some of us will have completely different things. Uh, but is there like a, a way to define happiness or is that something that you need to define for yourself? And, and, and then I think the thing that goes with that, that's for me, it's about recognizing uh, happiness, but then can I measure it? This thing makes me happier than that thing, or I've never been this happy in my life. Like, is there is there practical ways to actually measure this? Um, give me a couple of months and I'll have the answer to that. <laughs> uh, look, the the what makes you happy, what makes me happy, as I say, some of them are the same, some of them are different. So it's a question of understanding the principles. Um, we could answer ask a question, uh, about what will make everybody happy, a hug. Hug from a loved one is gonna make anybody happy. There's research out there, for example, the Harvard University Longitudinal Study 
on happiness, which shows they asked a whole load of young people um, what will make you happy as you go through life, and they all replied uh, money and fame. Uh, they then went back every two years and said, are you happy? Uh, what's making you happy or unhappy? And the people who became rich were no happier than people who weren't rich. The people who became famous were no or happier than the people who weren't famous. What they found was that the biggest contributor to happiness by a street was the quality of your social relationships to the point that loneliness, people who reported loneliness died younger. That study's been going on for about 80 years, and there's a fantastic book out about it. Also a fantastic, uh, you just Google a Harvard study on happiness, see the TED talk that Robert Wolnio gives, it's brilliant. So there are things that are that, that we can do, we can point towards, and we can take steps towards those things. Um, you've got the, uh, so some Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of needs is here in, in here as well, because uh, I do get people sometime on social media saying, oh, yeah, we'll try not having any money then. See how happy that makes you. And that's true. If you're at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you can't got sandwich, you haven't got shelter over your head. A bit of money is going to make a big difference. So it does depend where you are in your life as well, which is why it's such a fascinating subject for financial advisors and planners to talk about with their clients, because it's different for everybody. And one of the major problems is you can't challenge your own assumptions. So that's why you need third party help to get into this and to really understand well, how that will apply to you. As for measuring it, that's really tricky. Um, however, I do have something coming out in a couple of months time, which is called the Financial Wellbeing Pulse, which is which measures and gives a score for certain our clients relationship between money and happiness. Um, so watch this space, I guess, on that one. So it is possible that we spent many years building this tool. Um, using academic uh, and psychology and what have you. Um, so, but it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. That's that. That's to be sure. It, it's a little bit like um, there was uh, uh, an American study um, in the Senate that they were looking into into pornography. And somebody at the beginning of the session said, "What actually is pornography? Can we define it?" And somebody replied, "I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it." <laughs> I kind of think well-being is a bit like that. Not quite sure I can define what it is, but one day I might just be feeling happy. And I notice I've been feeling like this for a few days now. That must be well-being, you know. And I mean, you were you you were definitely saying something very interesting now, um, you know, like Maslow's bottom part of the hierarchy, uh, which is all about safety and security. And and I think, don't you think we often, um, we often confuse the happiness with the feeling of safety? Um, so we think, uh, so of course we stressed and we worried because we don't have money and how am I going to pay these bills and how am I going to keep a roof over my head and my family's head and how am I going to send my kids to school and all of these kind of things might be weighing on our minds. And then you think money's going to sort, that's going to make me happy again. Mm. But there's a difference between not feeling anxious and just not, and just feeling safe to actually being happy. So my big question to you as a last question here, uh, Chris, is... Does more money make us more happy though? Like, you know, so there's again, two yep. questions yep. in one, yep. <laughs> but yep. I, I would do want to end with that one. Uh, I, so I would say uh, it depends where you are on that, on that, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, if you said to somebody, here's some money, you can now have a holiday and you couldn't have had a holiday before, that will make you more happy. Of course it will. It's silly to say that more money doesn't make you more happy at a certain level. But 
above a certain level, I don't believe it makes any difference. Now, there were several st studies on this, and I think this is so interesting. Um, there was one study that said that the limit is something like 75,000 US dollars annual income. Anything more than that doesn't make you more happy. Then somebody did another study which said, actually, there's no end to it. People we've spoken to, in fact, it was the same data set, just interpreted differently, said that more money will always make you more happy. So then the two authors of those two reports came together for a third study, which unsurprisingly said, well, it depends. It depends on your attitude to money. So some people need more money to be more happy. Some people don't. And I've thought about this lots and lots and lots because it just instinctively doesn't work for me that more money will make you more happy without any end. If I give Elon Musk a million dollars, will that make him more happy? So the phrase that I've come to the conclusion of after we've got up to a stage where you've got security and you're OK, um, I would say more money will make you more happy if you need money to be happy. Now, that's a treadmill. That's a treadmill. So if we can get off that treadmill and do the things that make us happy, which don't need money, then there will be a limit. And surely that's healthier for us and for society and the planet and everybody. I really love that. Chris, thank you very, very much. Uh, so if people want to take the next step and sort of explore this a little bit more, um, how can they connect with you and what would you advise them for that next step to be if they're interested to, to see how they can incorporate this into their, their client engagements? So um, we have the Institute of Financial Wellbeing, which people would be very welcome to come and join the old you know, your time difference isn't that much different to ours. So um, you can join and come in, come in uh, online to some of the regular meetings that we have. Come and say hi on LinkedIn. Um, obviously, there's my books, Subtly Placed Behind Me, the next one of my novels. Uh, and then there's the Financial Wellbeing Podcast, which we've been doing for about eight, nine years now, 100 or plus episodes. There's masses of stuff in that as well. Fantastic. And uh, we'll link uh, all of that, obviously, is down in the description below. And uh, you can find it easily there. But Chris, thank you very much for spending your time with us. I know it's early where you are. So thank you so very much. We really appreciate it. And I can't wait to run into you when I'm in the UK next or when you come to South Africa. I mean, hopefully that's also on the cards. Chris, thank you very much for spending your time with us. We really, 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 really appreciate it. Very insightful and uh, really looking forward to chatting to you again soon. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us live this morning. If you watched On Demand, thank you very much as well for spending your time with us and uh, for learning with us. Uh, next week, we have our first panel discussion. So keep an eye on our social media on Monday to see what that will all be about. But uh, on that note, thank you very much for being here. I want to wish you a fantastic weekend. Stay safe, be blessed and prosper, and continue to raise the ball. All right, folks, that's a wrap for this episode of Propulsion. I hope you got as much out of this as I did. Remember to tune in every Friday at 8 a.m. South African time for our live show called Propulsion Live. You can find it at www.propulsion.co.za forward slash live. And trust me, you don't want to miss it. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, hit that subscribe button or the follow button and share it with your friends, colleagues, and anyone else who you think would get something out of it. Thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you in the next one.